Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. What are tokens? You hear about them a lot uh, when you you know hear about crypto, blockchain, Web3, etc. So at the very high level, a token is something I can send you over the internet. And once I've sent it, I lose it and you gain it. It's something I give you, like in the real world, right? If I give you an apple, now you have an apple and I don't have the apple anymore, which is very simple. Now, why is it hard to grasp? Well, it's hard to grasp because on the internet, we are not used to this kind of stuff. On the internet, we are used to I send you a picture and now you have the picture, right? You didn't have it before, you have it now, but I still have that picture. I basically sent you a copy. I send you, I don't know, I forward an email to you from somebody else and now you have access to this email to this maybe very valuable information, but I still have it. I send you a song, it's the same. I share a tweet, I share a Facebook post, whatever I give you online, I still have it. Web 2 is something which doesn't work like the real world. What's happening in Web 2 is like sharing of ideas and information. So again, remember, Web 2 is information. The internet deals with information. Now, if I come to you in the real world and I tell you, hey, I heard that Richard cut his hair. Now you know it, but I still know it. So I didn't give you something. I shared information. I duplicated this information with you. This is what the internet could do before crypto. Duplicating information. Everything you get online is some information which existed somewhere else before. Or you create some new information. Like again, you write a Facebook post, you're creating information and everybody else is copying it and getting access to it. Um, The moment you send your Facebook post, you don't lose access to it. But in the real world, this applies to information, right? But everything else doesn't work like this. The apple I give to you is gone. The money I give to you is gone. Whatever, even if I, if I, bought, if I lend you something, uh, I lose access to it temporarily. So we didn't have, until crypto, a way to replicate real-world behavior, real-world dynamics online. Think about it. If you want to give me something and... Once you gave it to me, you don't have it anymore. What can you do online? Basically nothing. Maybe a domain name. Uh, But everything else is just information being copied over and over and over. The internet is the biggest copy machine humanity has ever invented. This is its power. It's never been that easy to copy and widespread information. Uh, But this is also its limitation, because whatever you give is just copied over and over again. There's no things which you can give online. Well, until crypto. When Bitcoin was invented, but now we, we found a way to give something and lose access to it. We found a way to replicate the real world in everything else which is not information. Now, this is what we can call a primitive the internet didn't have before. So the internet got this new capability and this is a new primitive in the sense that we have something which is at the base of the web and which did not exist before, right? So I'm talking about 
a coin here, so Bitcoin. Bitcoin started this all. Forget for a moment the fact that Bitcoin is or wants to be money. Forget the reason Bitcoin was invented. Just think about it. Now we have, so Bitcoin is invented. Now we have something which I can give to you and I lose access to it. I can give you a thing and that's the coin. Most people who actually grasp the concept, people, when people were exposed to Bitcoin at the beginning and then those who actually realized what was going on, they immediately said, well, this is bigger than anything else which has happened to the internet since the internet itself. Because this is bigger than, I don't know, what's the biggest thing on, on the internet? Uh, okay, email, of course, that was like a primitive. Uh, FTP, which is sending files from you know, between servers or from a computer and a server. HTTP, which is this protocol we use to share the information through browsers. Um, and sorry if I'm not very technical here, but the concept is like, these were the very important things which made the internet possible. But then everything else, the applications on top of it, like the biggest ones like Google or Amazon or Facebook, they are not as big as Bitcoin or they are not as big as the concept of scarcity, tokens which I can give to you and I lose access to them. Why? Because these are applications built on top of the layer of the internet, right? The internet comes to life and we build stuff on top. Applications like Google or Facebook or, or Amazon or Airbnb, whatever, are what actually give value to the internet itself. The internet itself without the applications is basically useless. But Bitcoin introduced a new primitive, introduced something at the internet layer. So now we can build stuff on top of this new concept, which is again, let me repeat it because it's really important and it's, it's so simple that it's hard to grasp. Now we can give stuff to others on the internet, which we lose access to. We can actually transfer stuff from one person to the other. Transfer in the sense, again, I give you an apple, I don't have the apple anymore. This is enormous and the um, amount and, and, and importance of applications we can build based on this concept are endless. And let's think about the other side of the argument, right? So Bitcoin, Bitcoin comes to life and uh, we react, you know, kind of automatically saying, well, it's money which is backed by nothing. It's a speculative asset, it's worthless, it's a scam, et cetera, et cetera. And we missed, and me too, but the first reaction to Bitcoin is obviously this kind of thing, right? It's like, okay, what the hell is that? And then failing to grasp what actually Bitcoin meant, which Bitcoin meant more than Bitcoin. Somebody wanted to build an alternative monetary asset, okay, an alternative money. And in doing so, they had to build or put together a series of technologies which allowed much more than money. They allowed value transfer on the internet for the first time ever. And you know why it is hard to grasp this concept? Because it's too simple. It's just too simple. It's like it was so hard to grasp the internet at the beginning because it was like, yeah, I can send information Online, well, I can send information, you know, I can call somebody, I can send a letter already. What is the big advantage of the internet? And until there were important applications on top of it, it was really hard to understand. You know, I, I think I mentioned this before. At the beginning, in order to explain the internet, you will say, you know, you could send thousands of, fa thousands of faxes for free uh, very quickly. That was 
as far as we could go in understanding the internet. Now Bitcoin is is um, over ten years old, and if you've been in crypto for a while, and it does take time to absorb these kind of concepts, you understand how this how this changes really everything online. This brings me to a concept I've I've learned in the last ten years, which is do not trust your instinct regarding the internet because your instinct wasn't built for the internet your instinct was built for uh, the real world right everything we are has been uh, is the result of thousands of years tens of thousands of years i think we are like 200,000 years old as a human species to survive in the real world and to you know run away from uh, real physical threats etc the internet is a different thing it's a different place and we are not built for that we haven't developed yet the internet instincts when a new primitive comes along like a coin we don't grasp it just automatically we, we really need to build new paths in our mind the same thing happens in the fact that everything is going exponential when it's touched by the internet and we do not think in exponential terms we think in linear terms there's this famous example in which you know when we were chasing gazelles in the savannah we would expect the gazelle to go from zero kilometers per hour to five to ten to fifteen to twenty to whatever you know how fast they run and this is a linear progression. That's what we understand. We understand linear progressions. We do not understand instinctively exponential progression, right? So when, when the gazelle doesn't go from 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 32 to 64 to 128 to 256 to 512 to 1,000 kilometers per hour, this doesn't happen in nature. We don't have experience in nature of exponential growth. Actually, we have it, but it's much rare, like a virus grows exponentially but it's much harder to to see right you you only see the effect around you so if this all sounds weird it's because we are not you know naturally we haven't evolved naturally to to grasp these kind of concepts we grasp them when we start using this kind of stuff right i, I said this before we we understood the internet when we started using it we understand crypto when we start using it so Let's wrap it up. We are in a new world online where there is stuff we can give to other people and we lose access to it. We actually give to other people, not share. Until Bitcoin, we could only share stuff online. Now we can give stuff online. It's really simple, isn't it? Um, and that's, that's all there is to it. So now we can create things which we can give to other people. And because they are not shared and duplicated at libitum, so... We can make scarcity. We can do 21 million. We can, you know, build a program which plans to be create 21 million bitcoins, and every single bitcoin is part of a scarce pool. These are very important concepts we need to understand before we go ahead. So let me let me repeat them again. So before Bitcoin you could only copy and paste files and make many copies of it. Now we have files. It's not technically correct. We don't have files, but it's like we have files that cannot be duplicated. So it's like if I had, if I could send you a picture and when I send you this picture, I don't have it anymore. So now the internet is much closer to reality, to the real world. 
So what can we do with that? Well, we're going to go through this in the in the next episodes, but let's go a bit deeper in what are coins and what are tokens because there's different kind of scarce assets, right? So first we had the coins. It's uh, an asset with a limited number, which is native of a specific blockchain. Bitcoin has its own blockchain. So there's a certain number of computers running the code. And all the software on these nodes is managing one single coin, which is the Bitcoin. The same thing goes for Ethereum. Ethereum has one native coin, which is ETH, E-T-H, that's the name. Ether actually is the name. ETH is the short. So we have Ethereum, which is a different set of computers. They are called miners, they're called nodes, whatever. So there's these thousands of computers which are keeping the network secure and they have one single native asset, which is Ether. So Ether is a coin. Uh, Ether is different from Bitcoin because there's not 21 million, but there's more and more burned every time. Sorry, not burned. <laughs> this is a, a funny uh, lapsus. They are created and minted every time, but recently there's been a change and they are also burned. But that's a different story. So coins are the native assets of a blockchain. And a blockchain is basically a set of computers which is running one specific kind of code. So you have to imagine... A certain number of Bitcoin nodes, they are running only Bitcoin. They only have one coin, which is Bitcoin. Then you have other computers, completely different. They, they don't run the same software, completely separated. And they run the Ethereum network and they have Ether as the coin. So these are coins, native coins on a blockchain. So what are tokens? Well, tokens are coins running on a blockchain which allows the creation of tokens. Bitcoin does not allow creation of tokens. It's not really true, but whatever. There's not a big ecosystem of, of tokens on, on, on Bitcoin. So let's say that Bitcoin only runs Bitcoin. Uh, I, I really need to keep it simple and I don't want to... I'm fine with not being technically, you know, super correct. It's, it's okay. Bitcoin is only Bitcoins. Ethereum allows you to create a token. So Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange, decides to create a token, and it does it on the Ethereum network. Shiba Inu, you may, you may have heard about this, it's built on Ethereum. So Ethereum has thousands and thousands and thousands of tokens on top of it. So what is the big difference between a token and a coin? At the end of the day, for the usage um, you may do, you have with them, is not that much. Technically, a coin is the native asset of a specific blockchain. A token is based on somebody else, somebody else's blockchain. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. They, they are the same thing. They are things which you can give or you can receive. Um, now, is it better to have your own blockchain when you issue a token or not? I don't think so in general, right? Unless you're building a blockchain with a specific use case, and this is really at the infrastructure level. No, no one of us will really need to build a blockchain unless you're building something really big and you want control of your own roads in a way, right? You don't want traffic from other people. You want to keep it dedicated to your asset. But in general, if you build your own blockchain, it better be really decentralized. Otherwise, it's basically worthless. 
And it's better to build on a real safe network, like for instance, Ethereum or other blockchains, because they are basically selling uh, decentralization. They are selling block space. They are selling the infrastructure. They are the road. You want to build a token, well, you build it on top of an existing road normally. So what is the difference for us between a token and a coin? Not that much, okay? Unless you go in the infrastructure level. And this is, again, probably pretty, pretty rare. So because they're not that different, you'll often hear people using the word coin and token uh, in the wrong context. But again, unless you want to be pedant about this, do not worry. It's it's basically just things we give to others, which we you know we we give to others. We don't share with others. Now let's go on tokens because a lot a lot of innovation has been done on the token level, and um, let's see what a normal token is, how it works, and then we can see the different kind of tokens which exist. Let's try to understand it simulating you know a situation in which we want to create a token let's say you have uh, a business in in the travel space uh, maybe you have you know a few villas which you rent out and you want to have a token to represent the value to kind of share the value of the company maybe you want to use them as as points for fidelity points whatever uh, we're going to get into the use cases later on uh, how do you create a token? I tell you how you don't do that first. So you do not go to the Ethereum headquarters in New York and apply for a token issuance uh, because there's no Ethereum headquarters and you don't apply. This is a permissionless network as the internet is and you just do it. Nobody will be able to stop you from creating a token. No matter how stupid it is, no matter how illegal it is, you just create a token, right? So... What you actually do is you take a piece of code of a token smart contract. So it's basically a script. And instead of the default name, you put your own name. Let's say you, you call the token Villa. So you say the token is called Villa. His, his um, ticker is VLA, for instance. And you want to make a billion of them. So you write one billion. Then you connect to a wallet. You pay the gas, and you write this piece of software, you write it on the blockchain. And in a few minutes later, thousands of computers are going to have this software written in their blockchain. That's it. You have a token now. Now that you have a token, you can uh, send it to someone. It's worthless, right? You just created it. It's not, it's not value at all. But you can actually send it to someone a minute after you build it, a minute after you created it. And it does exist. And if you made a billion of them and you send one to me, well, now you don't have a billion anymore. I have one and you have whatever is a billion minus one. So you just created something scarce and you send me one piece of it. Did you build something valuable? No, it's, it's worthless right now, right? But you have the infrastructure, you have the token. Now, I said scars, and, and that lets me introduce the other, like the last choice you have to do when you create a token. You should choose if you want them to have a maximum amount or you want to be able to mint more of them. You can say, okay, I want to make a billion tokens for my villa business, and I want to make it impossible for anyone to create more of them. So in the code, you write minting? No. 
Or you could say, well, maybe, you know, once in a while I need to build, to create more, to mint more of them because my business will grow and I don't know, I, I need to have more of them. And in that case, in the code, you write minting. Yes, actually it's not minting, it's mintable. What is the difference here? Well, this code is on the blockchain. Um, it's visible, so people can see if it's mintable or not. And of course, if it's mintable, maybe the value will not go as high as if it wasn't mintable. Because you have chosen to remove the scarcity aspect out of it. It is still scarce. It is still scarcer than an email, uh, a text, or an image. Because, first of all, you are the only one who can actually mint them. It's not like anybody can get them and, like, you send me one, I cannot make two of them, right? You are the contract owner. So your address, your wallet address, is the contact owner. You can, at a certain point, decide to make another billion. But it's only you. So the billion you created at the beginning, it's actually... A defined number everybody can see. There's always a possibility for you to create more, but only you. So they're not as scarce as if it was a mintable, where there's one billion forever and nobody can change it, not even you. But this is is scarcer than you know a picture which anybody can copy a billion times. So what can you do with tokens? Well, this is the question everybody asks themselves when they first realized that we had tokens, this incredibly powerful new primitive. And there's actually many things which you can do with a token. So you could consider a token like a share in your company. So you could basically say the company value is represented in shares, and these shares are tokens. And then when you give tokens to people, they have shares on the company. You could use them as fidelity points. So every time you come to my villa, you get a thousand of them, and then you can use them to get discounts or, or maybe even to pay for the next villa. You can use them as uh, voting rights. So the more tokens you have, the more you can, your vote can be important on decisions about, about the company and so on. There's really many, and, and all of them at the same time too. Um, they could be used as uh, something you can stake. Uh, so you can ask your customers to stack them in a contract. And the more you have, the better priority access or the better price you can get to your villas. It's, there's really many, 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 many different possible applications. Do they all make sense from day one? No, it's really very experimental. But we have... Today, there's many use cases which are actually really, really powerful. And these are things which you couldn't, do, couldn't actually do online before. So it's, this is a phase of, the, of Web3 in which we are still discovering the, the things which we can do now and we couldn't do before. And of course, most of these experiments do not work, but the potential is really, really interesting. I think this is a good moment to introduce a very important concept about Web3. It's the attitude. It's your attitude to Web3. So let's start from the wrong attitude. You get into this, you look at it around, it's, it's confusing, it's, it's interesting, it's intriguing, and you think everything has been built and you want people to explain you what it is and if something doesn't work, you like you see this thing doesn't work, etc. This is not the right attitude because... It doesn't correspond with the phase we are in. This is the building phase of 
which are still building infrastructure and on top of a shaky infrastructure and never changing infrastructure, we're building applications. So what is the right attitude? And by right and wrong, I don't mean ethically, I mean what allows you to get most advantage uh, from the space. The right attitude is like, oh, wow, guys, I get it. Uh, we have these incredible new primitives. What can we do? Hey, guys, what have you done so far? Oh, wow, that's nice. Oh, this didn't work out. Great. It was a nice experiment and it allowed me to learn something from it. Oh, what can I do with that? Let's say in travel. Basically, nothing has been built in travel yet on this technology, right? Everything can be built. So think about what you can build. You, you, you take your own knowledge in your specific vertical in the travel industry and you try to see what you could build. And then you go to see what other people have tried to build in different verticals, but with the same concept. So it's more like a, we have a new playground. What games can we play here? And let's try new games. That's, in my opinion, the right attitude. It's not about judging what other people have done and finding fault in it, because this is a self-defeating approach to it. You will get tired of it. You will get angry at it. And especially because you're going to focus on the not working parts. And then you, at the same time, you see that this is not stopping and it keeps growing. So it's going to be like you are looking at the big opportunity and, and focusing on the on the on the things which are not working right it's like looking at the brother brothers right uh, building the first airplane and laughing at every time they fail instead of you know being inspired by the fact that they were able to fly one meter and then five meters and 10 meters and 20 meters and so on instead of looking at how how this thing is getting better all the time and it's going to change transportation forever and this is of course true for every kind of technology nowadays, especially uh, exponential technologies. If you see them as opportunities, you will grab the opportunity. If you see them as threats or stupid experiments, you won't be able to do anything with them. So just don't even look at them. What's the point? They're going to anyway come and hit you later on. But uh, there's no way to fight this kind of thing. They're just too big. You know, We found a way to transfer value online directly on the internet you can't find this this is bigger than than you bigger than your company bigger than anything else so embrace it or ignore it don't fight it it's just a waste of time so now you created your token for your villas and you start experimenting with it let's introduce another concept your tokens are fungible now this is a word you you probably have heard and uh, I'm not sure that everybody knows what that means. So what is fungible? Fungible is something is fungible when if I give you one of them and you give me one of yours, nothing changes. Let's imagine a coin, a euro coin, a one euro coin. If I give you one euro coin and you give me one euro coin, Nothing has changed. Nothing has happened. It's just the same. I still have a new a euro coin in my pocket, and you still have a euro coin in your pocket. Money is fungible. Fungible means it can be exchanged, uh, but in each one of them has the same exact properties. We have a few fungible things in the real world. Money is one. If you go in a computer shop and they have ten 
models, so the same model, 10 of them, it doesn't matter which one you pick up, they are exactly the same. So let's say you buy this computer, you bring it home, you use it for six months, it's not fungible anymore because now you have all your pictures and emails and software, etc. inside of it, right? Can you make it fungible again? Yeah, because you can remove all the data and now it's fungible, kind of fungible with another computer which is six months old. See where I'm going, right? So a few things are fungible in the real world, but most things are not. Now, Web3 started with fungible tokens, which are uh, fungible coins, which are Bitcoin. If I give you a Bitcoin and you give me a Bitcoin, we still both have a Bitcoin. There's not much difference. You know, there is because they have a different history, etc. So Bitcoins are not really fungible, but let's consider it. You know, let's keep it simple. So money is fungible. We started Web3 with fungible stuff. Now, if in the real world, most things are not fungible, and in Web3, so on the internet, we only have fungible things, is our job done? No, it's not, because we haven't yet created a token which is not fungible, which means a token which is one thing only, a token which can represent something which is unique. Haven't we created that? Well, we have created it, and it's called NFT, non-fungible token. You see, this is what's so crazy about this space, because we are basically building a universe online. We are replicating the real world online. You think that you have seen incredible innovation in tokens. You can do so many things now, which before were not possible. And you don't realize that we haven't even started. We haven't even scratched the surface. And then NFTs come out and you, as always, the first approach is like, yeah, okay, just one other thing, which is, you know, one of the million things coming out all the time. And it takes time before you understand, and I say you, but actually it's me, you understand how powerful some things are. And NFTs are incredibly powerful primitives. And I would say they are more important than tokens. Why? Because in the real world, non-fungible stuff is more important than the few fungible things we have, like money and new computers and stuff like this. NFTs are basically all the rest, which we didn't have before online, which our real lives in the real world are basically built on. Let's make something clear. What is an NFT? Well, an NFT is a token. So it works exactly like another token. I can send it to you. You can send it to me. When you send it to me, you don't have it anymore. Now, if you send me a Bitcoin and you have 10 of them, lucky you, you still have nine. But if you have an NFT, which is unique, and you send it to me, well, you don't have it anymore. So you just gave me something which is unique. There's not 21 millions of them. You cannot buy another one. I have it. It's unique. Unless I want to sell it, you will never get it back. And if somebody really likes it, I'm the only seller of this thing in the world. Now, NFTs are suffering the same conflation paradox Bitcoin suffered. Remember when I said Bitcoin is trying to be money, right? And in order to be money, it had to build a new technology. 
again, Bitcoin is a result of many new technolo many technologies, all the new put together, right? And in order to exist, Bitcoin had to build this set of technologies. And we conflated Bitcoin with the technologies. While Bitcoin is just an application, one of the many applications on this technology, right? Let's call this technology blockchain, just to give it a name. It's much more than the blockchain, but Bitcoin had to build a blockchain to exist, but the blockchain can build many more things than Bitcoin itself. And we conflate them together. We think that Bitcoin is the blockchain or the blockchain is Bitcoin. No, it's not like this. Um, so we dismissed Bitcoin and the blockchain because we didn't think that was a good idea for, for money. And then later, you know, we started realizing, well, we can do so many things with this blockchain thing. We can do things which go behind money, right? And we started experimenting with, uh, um, well, tokens, for instance. And, and then on top of tokens, you can build all these other things like decentralized organizations, voting rights, and whatever, you know, the, all these examples which, which I've, I've done before and I will do later in the future. Um, and the same thing, thing is happening with NFTs. So at the basic level, NFTs are unique assets, digital assets, right? So they are a primitive and somebody has to start using these things to make sense of them. So the first NFTs were images of cats, crypto kitties, in which you had one cat which could breed with another cat. So two NFTs breeding together and making a baby which inherited the DNA of, of the two parents. Now, this is not stuff a serious person will take seriously. You know, kiddies like a game probably sounds stupid. And so we conflated crypto kiddies with NFTs. We thought that NFTs are crypto kiddies. So crypto kiddies was something which happened in 2018, 17, and then they died out. I mean, then, you know, actually they, they, they were successful for a while and they made the whole Ethereum network slow. And, and we kind of forgot for NF about NFTs for, for years. But then this year they came back. And this is another aspect of these technologies. If they really have value, they come back because people will find new applications. And they came back in the worst possible way for ease of understanding because they came back through art. Most of us conflate NFTs with profile pictures. Some people are buying these NFTs with, with a drone, pixelated person, an avatar. So you buy the NFT, you have the avatar, and you use it in your Twitter account. Or art in general, you, you buy an NFT represented by a picture, you like the picture, and you own it online. You are the only person online who owns it. And now, this is really hard to understand because of two things, basically. One is because we don't, in general, understand art. Most people do not understand art. If you ask me why a banana taped on a wall can cost $200,000, uh, I say, I don't know. Yeah, I can try to understand it theoretically, but it's not intuitive for me. And if you ask me why Visa paid $100,000 for a CryptoPunk, one of these images, I can tell you maybe because they want to own an historical asset which represents a certain 
part of, of the internet growth, etc., etc. But it's really hard to understand why people would pay money for a picture because this requires understanding how the art world works. And it also has this very tricky aspect of you can copy this image. So somebody pays a million dollars for an image which I can copy, I do control save and I have it in my computer, exactly the same picture. How do you go around this? How do you explain this? It's really hard. Now, let me explain you a little bit the difference between the images and the NFTs because the images are not the NFTs. And let me take the example of this famous people uh, set of images. So people is an artist who... Uh, for 5,000 days, every day, made a digital drawing. And then at the beginning of this year, he auctioned it on Christie's, the famous uh, auction house, as an NFT. And so somebody bought this NFT, which is basically a very, very, very big JPEG made of 5,000 JPEGs and paid it a lot of money, $69 million or something. And... I could take, and you could take this picture and save it on your computer. So now we also have it, but we didn't pay $69 million, right? How do you explain that? Well, the value of the JPEG being so high, we can try to explain it. Uh, you know, I listened to the person who bought it. It makes sense in his worldview, but we shouldn't really go there. It doesn't really matter if he paid $69 million or if he paid the dollar. The fact is that he decided to pay money for an image. Is it what happened? No, that's not what happened. The image is there. Everybody can have it. He paid the money for the digital title deed, the property title on the image. So the NFT itself, it is not the image. So let me explain you how the NFT is technically built. It is like a token. There's only one of it. And there is another field which says, go to this URL and display this image. So it's a token with a link to an image. So when I look at the NFT, I will see the image because the NFT contract tells me it's connected to that image. So the NFT is not the image. The NFT is the property title. Let's go a step farther, okay? Let's talk about an NFT um, which was very successful. It's called Board Yacht Ape Club, which you basically, you bought the NFT and the NFT had an image connected, which was uh, a monkey, basically an ape. And every single picture of the ape was different. So they made, I don't know, 10,000, I think. So you could buy one of these 10,000. Now, again, you buy it. Let's say you somebody paid it an ether. So, I don't know, $4,000. But you, me and you, we can go and take this picture and, and copy it, right? Where is the value of it? Well, the value is not in the picture. It's in the property title. Now, let's say that to access the club, let's say this is an online club where only people who own the NFT can get in, then you see that the value is not in the picture, but in the property title. The title, the NFT, has become a ticket. So what people actually bought was a ticket to this club. Now, is it worth to go in that club? Well, that's subjective. I don't know. 
Maybe some people bought it because they want to be in a club with other people who share this kind of uh, interest for this technology, or maybe they want to go in a club with other rich people because this board uh, yacht eight um, a club uh, NFTs got really expensive, right? So maybe the closest thing is a Rotary Club membership. You get in only if you're rich. Is this the final and only use case for NFTs? No, this is one of thousands we can think of. Let's go in the travel industry. Uh, maybe you have, you can say you have these villas and every time a customer comes, you give them a free NFT. Again, you give them one property title which has a picture attached to it or even no picture attached to it. But let, let's keep the picture. Let's say that there's a, a picture of, of the villa they stayed in with the dates they stayed in. And then you tell them, Whoever owns this NFT, next time they book the villa, they will get a 20% discount. So you have just created a kind of a fidelity card out of NFTs without having to build the whole fidelity infrastructure. And even more than the usual you know, membership points or fidelity cards, these NFT is transferable. So let's say that you have this villa. I come to the villa. I pay the money to stay there. You give me the NFT. It gives right to a 20% discount on all your villas and uh, and I sell it because maybe somebody else wants to come and get this discount. So I sell it for a certain amount of money. Somebody buys it and gets the discount. Now, a few years later, there's, I don't know, a thousand of these NFTs around. The, the, the number is limited. Maybe you've created a, a, a fixed number, like a thousand, and now everybody wants them because they give access to the discount. And you say, well, what is the good thing about giving discounts? Well, it's not that you give discounts only, but now you have an asset which people want and is the asset you created out of basically nothing. Maybe you kept half of them and you can sell them on the market. Uh, now, am I saying this is what you should do? Am I saying this is the perfect use case for NFTs in travel? No, it's just things coming up top of my mind. And this probably flows into this uh idea I just shared with you because I haven't done it. So maybe you will try it. It will fail. Somebody else will try, will try it a bit differently. Maybe it will be a more successful. Maybe somebody will make this NFT expirable. So they have to be used before a certain date, uh, whatever. I mean, again, don't ask me now how NFTs should be used in travel. Ask yourself what can be done. You first understand how the primitive works and you understand that there's thousands of possibilities and you start trying, you start thinking about it. All right. Again, this is the right attitude. I'm not here to tell you how NFTs or tokens have to be used in the travel industry. I'm here telling you we can invent new ways to deal with our existing real world business based on Web3. So we have seen what a coin is, which is a native asset of a specific blockchain. We have seen what tokens are, pretty similar. They only use existing blockchains. That's the main difference. We have seen, or we just have started to kind of see what NFTs are, and they are unique assets. And I think we, in this specific episode, we will not go too much um, deeper into that. So if you want to build your mental model around this, just consider two things. You have tokens, which are fungible. There's many of them. And uh, 
each one is equal to the other one. So let's say tokens are money, tokens are shares, token are, tokens are points. And then you have NFTs, which are unique. So an NFT represents one specific thing, one specific right. That's it, two things, tokens and uh, NFTs. To wrap it up, all of these are tokens. They just have different properties. So what I'm trying to do in this episode is to um, make it clear that the important thing today is not the application, is not what, what we can do with these tokens and NFTs yet, because it's still a discovery process. The very big news is that we can have these assets, these tokens and these NFTs, right? The the primitives, it's a completely new thing on the internet and we will find ways to use them. So focus on the primitive for now, look around what's been done in other verticals and try to think, just start, you know, start getting used to think, okay, this worked in banking, this worked in finance, this worked in art. What works in travel? What, what can I tr try with travel? Can I try this in travel? Can I do it a bit differently? So start thinking in these terms and you will see that, you know, it's like looking at the world with new glasses and seeing things you couldn't see before. So if you get into that mindset, I, I can guarantee you it is going to be really, really exciting. And if nothing comes to mind, do not worry. It does take time to absorb these concepts. It, it does get practice. It, it, it's, it's a complete shift. Um, especially if you're trying to imagine something which doesn't exist, instead of simply realizing that this is how the world works offline. And, and now it can work like this online too. When you're able to make this connection, everything will be much, much clearer. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at tripluca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A, and see you next time.